It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 208, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, Apple computer models, local AI versus cloud servers, creative chat GPT, and surveillance. So, Gary, it was good seeing you last week in person. That was that was actually a lot of fun, along with uh, with Kay and Randy. Uh, for our listener listeners, listener, uh, if you missed last week's episode, we were actually all four of us in the same place at the same time, and we took the opportunity to record a podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was great to to have that. You know, well, first of all, to be recording one. Well, we always record live. We're doing that right now, but we're in different parts of the world. Right. But to actually all be in the same room um, was really cool. Uh, and to have four of us, actually five, really, uh, there in the same room and recording and and talking. And boy, they! It, it, I think the hour goes fast when it's just you and me. Sometimes <laughs> it felt like it was like ten minutes, and we were right. like, right, you know, done. Uh, so yeah, it goes incredibly fast when there's a whole bunch of people. Um, and yeah, it's it, that was really cool. I, so, I hope it's not as long for the next time that we all get to record something. So watch this segue. Speaking of incredibly fast. <laughs> yeah. The, how about scary fast, right? Yes. Uh, that was their tagline. Yes. <laughs> Apple's tagline for um, last, well, from this recording, we're recording on Tuesday. So it was an unusual, it was a Monday night uh, event extremely unusual. I, I can't remember if Apple ever done an evening event. Now there was no event. It was all pre-recorded. Right. Um, and, and I don't, I personally don't care. Actually, I kind of like pre-recorded stuff, let them get everything exactly like they want and then play yeah. it. Like I don't get any thrill out of it being live Tim Cook talking, you know, it's whatever. Um, but it was nighttime and, uh, it was also, you know, Halloween themed, uh, it was really cool. There's actually been a lot uh, uh, talked about the actual recording of the event because the event was actually made completely on the iPhone 15 Pro. <laughs> cool. So they 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 actually made a, a another video of how they made the event video. Right, the making <laughs> they, of yes, <laughs> yeah, and that and that got a lot of attention today. You know, it was neat because they they used all the professional like equipment, like the dollies and the, the you know the stuff to hold the camera and drones and everything. But the camera work was all always iPhone 15 Pros, and um and you know you it looked fantastic as you would imagine as anyone has a, a 15 pro or even a 14 pro or even a 13 pro uh knows you know the it's a lot of clarity and stuff and of course they gave themselves an ex extra difficulty level because most of it was recorded at night and low light <laughs> so that was interesting it was like you know they didn't have the best conditions for doing uh recording with any camera and yet they still chose to to do a nice demo of the iphone 15's cameras and stuff so that was cool uh, I, I liked it. It's interesting that they used the, uh, a different, they didn't use their camera app. They use a different camera app, uh, the black magic one to record. Um, interesting. And, yeah. And they also recorded directly to, uh, drives, at least for some of it, which is a feature of the iPhone 15 pro. You can hook up like an SSD drive to it or directly to another computer and actually record video direct through the pipe. Um, which is, you know, you don't, it, it, it's, it's something different than before where you had, you always had to record to your iPhone and then transfer it somehow, um, at least for high quality stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was good. The event itself was short, uh, short and sweet. It was basically them announcing new Macs uh, to kind of end the year of product releases. Um, they announced the new M3 processors, which, uh, you know, the third generation kind of, I mean, generations, you think they should be longer, right? You know, when you do generations, usually talking five, 10, 15 years, right. In generations now for most tech things are like a year. Yeah. Um, but it was the M3 and the big uh, changes, the, you know, the size of the elements on the chips, three nanometers now. So, uh, you know, really small and makes the chips faster and they can put more on them. Uh, that's really cool. They also came out not just with the M3, but the M3 Pro and the M3 Max, which are three out of four of the levels of the chip, only missing the M3 Ultra. But in the past, they've come out with like just the first one and then the Pro and then the Max. And, you know, right, so right. it was neat. They came out with those and then they came out with a bunch of Macs to go along with it. So they basically upgraded the entire MacBook Pro line 
and simplified it. Before they had a 13-inch, which was kind of this holdover old model uh, that they kept updating. Um, and then they had the 14 and 16-inch, which were the newer style ones. They dropped the 13-inch, which is something I thought they should have done last year to simplify it and to create more of a line between the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro. Like right. That 13-inch model was like really confusing. It's like, what is this? <laughs> is it, It's kind of like the MacBook Air in its qualities, but they call it a MacBook Pro. And it, uh, anyway, now that's gone. So that gets rid of that. And that was the last model to have the touch bar too. So the touch bar is now officially dead. There's not, you know, at, nothing in the Apple product line has a touch bar, which was weird that they held on to that. You know, they got, it took it out of a bunch of models and left it in one model which was very confusing. It's like, are you still doing the touch bar or not? So now it's dead. There's no touch bar models. And there's just the two MacBook Pro models, just the 14-inch and the 16-inch, nice and simple. And there's a 13-inch and a 15-inch MacBook Air, nice and simple. And right. that's the entire line. Um, they still have an older MacBook Air that they're selling you know, at the low, lower price point. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's clearly like the previous... Uh, generation M1 MacBook Air they still have. That will probably go away at some point, I'm sure. Um, but the new MacBook Pros, uh, the M3 chip, uh, obviously speed increases. Uh, there's a CPU increase, but most notably a big jump in the GPU, including adding things like ray tracing um, and memory caching for how it handles graphics memory and stuff. And those are big. And my feeling is, you know, traditionally a lot of those things have been, you know, games. So you think games, right. oh, now right. you can do ray tracing and all that. But I think a lot of that stuff is starting to get into like the rest of software. Like interfaces are going to be going in the next few years, more 3D looking. Mm -hmm. And I think that's definitely true knowing that Apple's moving into the whole Vision Pro, you know, their, their goggles right. that are coming out right, next right. year. And so a lot of apps are going to have to be 3D, not have to be, but they want to be 3D for the Vision Pro. But at the same time, it's like, well, then you don't want to have it just be 2D for like the Mac, even though the screen is 2D. You still want to have the capability of having the user interface elements be basically models and things like that. So having these built into the new chips, I think is really important. They actually also added ray tracing and things to the A17 processor, I believe on the iPhone. So yeah, so I think uh, a nice move ahead for those. Um, and they also upgraded the iMac. So they didn't really change much of anything except the processor, but that's good right. because you know, that's, it needed that. It needed right. to be like a vote of confidence that, yep, this is the, this is moving forward with this iMac. This is what we've got now. If you were hesitating with the M1 iMac, thinking that, you know, is this really what Apple's doing? Is this, or is just a, a evolutionary stop? It's like, nope, this is, this is it. it. Now it's got an M3 processor in it. Go buy one. <laughs> and it's actually, uh, at, the prices stayed pretty much the same. The iMac's $1299, uh, which gets you a 4.5, K screen, the new M3 processor, keyboard, mouse, um, and yeah, I mean everything. Like you don't need to buy any peripherals or anything like that to, right. to to run it. And it's a pretty powerful little Mac for home users. So so really cool um, stuff. I just did a video uh, on it for tomorrow for the same mm -hmm. day this this comes out, uh, where you know I basically say, look, if you're looking to upgrade. Um, if you have an Intel Mac at this point, it's time. You know, right, it, right. it may be early. If you happen to buy one at the end, like 2019, you bought an Intel Mac. You know, you may be thinking, oh, it's too early. You know, it's not even four years old yet, that kind of thing. It, that's fine if you want to hold on to it. For you know, no, Nobody needs to upgrade. You can hold on to it. But if you've been looking to say, when's the moment? that I should be making the jump. It's like at this point, you've got, you know, if you're looking at the iMac or MacBook Pros, you've got new ones, you're probably mm -hmm. set with these all the way through 2024, you know, so you could buy with confidence. Right. And you've got, um, you know, uh, huge, huge advantages over the Intel ones. If on the other hand, you already bought an Apple Silicon Mac, like an M1, right. say two right. years ago, it's not worth jumping laterally, like an M1 to an M3 is not worth it, or an M1 Pro to an M3 Pro, it's not worth it. 
because the generations don't matter as much as the levels. Like an M3 or an M1 Pro is still pretty good compared to an M3. You know, if you know what I'm saying, it's still yes, like yes, yes, going yes. up the levels is better for benchmarks and everything. So the only reason to upgrade now, uh, except, uh, you know, unless you're one of those people, it's just likes to upgrade all the time. Uh, the only reason is if you want to move forward in the processor, but also higher in the level, like for instance, right. you've been using a MacBook Air and you're thinking, you know, I really, I've been getting more serious about my work that I do on my Mac and I want to move up to a MacBook Pro. Now is a good time, right? Because now you can jump from an M1 to an M3, but you can jump from the base level to say a Pro or a Max, and it's a great time to do that. Right. Um, right. Just not just not lateral. Kind of you have to go in two dimensions in the chart. Um, oh, so a couple of, yeah. couple of questions for you. Yeah. Yeah. Are you getting one? No, because I uh, it doesn't affect the two Max I have, the Max Studio, which is my workhorse. There's no new model of that for the M3. There has been a new model since my Mac Studio came out. I have the M1 Ultra in it. And of course, you can, for a while now, I've gotten the M2 Ultra in it. Um, but that wasn't enough of a jump. Again, it would have been kind of a lateral M1 Ultra to M2 right, right, right. Ultra. And even if there was an M3 Ultra at this point, I still probably wouldn't be getting it because I'm only, you know, it'll be two years out. And it's not enough of an increase. The the M1 Ultra in my Mac Studio is so fast. I'm still amazed all the time how just incredibly fast it is. And sometimes how much I'm doing at the same time, that's like ridiculous. Like, right. you know, forgetting I have whole Adobe apps open, right. <laughs> doing things while I'm doing something else, you know, and, and it's like, oh, yeah. Um, and the other Mac I've got is a MacBook Air because I am, you know, I have a workhorse on my desk and I want... It's just something nice and lightweight and, uh, you know, inexpensive as my sidekick kind of right. to come with me everywhere. And they didn't come out with a new MacBook Air. Even if they did, I've got the M2 MacBook Air. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to go M2 to M3 like that. Right. Uh, I'll probably go either a few years with the same, uh, this M2 MacBook Air, unless they make some sort of change for the jump forward. Um, for me, it's like I'm set with the two machines I've got. And I'm ready to get the Vision Pro in the spring. Right. That's you gotcha. know that's kind of a clear path for me. It was interesting though that during the presentation, um, they kept comparing the uh, the the new M3 to the M1 and the Intel processor. Rarely did they compare it to the M2. Hmm. And I saw a journalist had asked the question, uh, you know, whatever event thing they had or, or an individual interview, why don't you compare it to the M2, the last one to come out? And Apple's response was, we have chips, but unlike other chip makers, we're not trying to sell it to manufacturers. We're trying to sell computers. It's totally different. The people with the M2 ch chips, they're not looking to upgrade now. Right. They have a new one, <laughs> you know? We're looking, when we talk about how much faster this is, we're looking to only talk to the people who are in kind of the, you know, the time area where they want to update. So people with the Intel processors, we're definitely targeting them. And maybe the first few people to buy the, you know, the first M1 models in 2020. Right. That's it. And it's a, it's a good point. And one I hadn't thought of before, AMD, Intel, you know, whoever else, they're always... Yes. marketing their chips to try <laughs> so to hard. get yeah try to get the the you know the the computer makers to use their chips and stuff like that apple doesn't do that they make their chips and you know the people that make their chips are in apple and they're not trying to sell to anybody right <laughs> they right. just make them it's the people at apple that are selling computers the actual macbooks and imacs they're the ones selling so it, it is interesting and it does explain why they didn't compare it. I mean, it, you would think first, well, it's not going to be as, you know, saying it's a 20% speed increase over the M2 might not be as impressive. So why not use the M1 and have a bigger number, right? right? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, Apple's at least telling you, you shouldn't be comparing your M2 MacBook Pro to this, because why are you trying to buy an M3 MacBook Pro? You just got your M2 MacBook Pro, right? you know, anyway. Interesting. Was, so yeah, interesting. I will say that um, Intel family, you know, Intel and AMD, 
Um, gosh, they are so frustrating. And I say that not because of, of how hard they market, but because of how complex their product line is. Um, I, I love that um, Apple's line is, you know, M1, 2, and 3, and then Plain, Pro, Ultra, and I think I missed one. Um, but, the, yeah, it's well, the chips, yeah, there's just four chips, but the product line itself is now down to nine machines. There are five MacBooks and four desktops. Right. And that's the smallest it's been in a long time. And it's probably at some point going to go to eight because that older MacBook Air will drop off. Right. Um, right. But then they may have a newer MacBook Air. The M3 MacBook Air may, you know, bump everything around, but it's still really small. And I'm very aware of that because we are just uh, a short period away from January 2024. And January 2024 is 40 years since January 1984, which is when the back was introduced. Yeah. So I have been doing some research because I'm thinking I'm going to probably need to do some special videos for that anniversary. Wow. And some looking through the Mac models, you get to some of those years, like in the middle of the 90s, where it's like, holy cow, there are dozens of Macs. Right choose from like all current and for sale they had and they had them with different names you walk you could walk into sears and buy our performa that uh, there were like the performa lines of max that were the same as the ones if you walked into a a apple authorized reseller that right. were, had a different name and it was crazy to think that you had you know it was oh the logo was a little different there was a case the case difference and it was the same thing it's like holy crap I I still haven't figured it out but I think there's a period in there where there are probably forty different models to choose from <laughs> but it was just crazy and Steve Jobs put an end to that fast right. when he came back because that was a big problem but uh, but you know to think just look at how simplified the line is right now um, it's very nice looking and. Uh, and well, yeah, it's my 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 thought though is just if, if you're just looking at the CPUs, mm -hmm. um, I love how simplified that is, um, because like I said, the number of combinations of mm -hmm. features and power and this and that on the Intel and AMD side, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to try and stay on top of it. And as you say, um, it's it's almost certainly because they are marketing to so many different vendors yeah. uh, that that they just have to have all these options out there. I had a question for you. You mentioned that they were uh, that the M3 chips have improved some of their uh, graphics capabilities. Yeah, um, you talked about uh, ray tracing, I think, and so forth. Does any of that apply to AI? I mean, we hear so yeah. much right now about um, NVIDIA, for example, being this super, super valuable company. And of course, they do graphics card, but um, their graphics card were uh, cards were essentially hijacked for uh, crypto mining for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, and now apparently they are planning on being a big player in the AI space. I'm just wondering if that same thinking is applying to the M3s. Well, definitely. But you have to remember the M the Apple Silicon processors, they have the separate, you know, neural network uh, processors on them. Mm -hmm. So you don't, for a lot of the AI stuff that Apple's doing, they're not tapping the GPU. They're, they have their own parts of the chip, you know, their own sub chips or however you want to call them, right? right. It's system on a chip. So th there are the neural network uh, parts of it, and they've got a ton of those. Um, I don't think I have the number here. Uh, let's see. It says, uh, well, there's it's a, a 16 core neural engine. Not sure if that's on the M3. Yeah, I think it's on all the M3, M3 Pro, and M3 Max. So 16 core neural engine, and that is used to do a lot of the AI stuff Apple's doing, like you know, figuring out like what objects are in an image, or trying to figure out like. Um, you know, uh, what you might be saying when you're talking, <laughs> uh, for dictation or, uh, you know, trying to predict like what it should show you, like a, a notification. Oh, you know, you have an email, you have an airplane flight in four hours, you know, maybe showing you that somehow. Um, a lot of that's done there. And I think it ties into privacy a lot too, because Apple is trying really hard to do all of this AI stuff. Right with privacy so they want to do everything that they can on your device yes 
And I know there's the new journaling app, which is coming out, which will debut, I'm thinking next month or so on the iPhone first, and then it'll eventually be on the iPod, uh, the iPad and the Mac. And the journaling app is going to have all these features where it suggests things to you. So you go to journal and it will just say, you know, would you, do you want to save this picture and this information in it? Because it knows you had tickets to a show and then you took pictures at the show and, you know, it's got to tie all that in. And while other systems may be like processing all that on their server. So in other words, reading your stuff. Yes. And, and we know that, you know, Google does this for, you know, that's how Gmail works for a lot of things. Um, Apple's going to be doing it on your device. So number one, there's the privacy thing. Only your device knows it does go out outside of your device and it right. still can make these predictions. But number two, of course, think of how Apple is building kind of an empire of devices that can do all this stuff while their competitors are going to be relying on massive server farms. Right. Yep. Yep. Got it. So, you know, Apple's distributing it and uh, and other places aren't. And this could, I mean, as more and more of this AI happens, it could be interesting to see where you might end up having empires crashing over the fact that they can't afford to grow their um, their server farms anymore. And Apple then doesn't worry about that at all because they don't have that. I mean, right. you know, if that ends up being like the thing that happens, say four years from now, that, you know, you reach like AI Armageddon or whatever, because not that type <laughs> of Armageddon, but the Armageddon where like the companies can't right. sustain it, right? It's right. like, you know, we can't sustain at the money we're bringing in the features that everybody wants. And then Apple can be like, mm, doesn't cost us a thing. You know, it's people on their own devices with their own electricity doing all the work for each each for their own needs. Right? What's funny is that I, I you know, the, there's two things actually that, that improve for user experience. One is you're also not pumping a lot of data up and down the wire. So mm -hmm. theoretically, mm -hmm. processor speeds aside, it should be a little bit faster. But- I, as I'll be talking about AI here in just a minute, but one of the issues that I think about from time to time is, you know, every time I ask AI a question or I give it an article to summarize or I give it information that I want it to operate on, yeah, what's it doing with that? Um, is yeah. is it uh, using that to further train its model? Well, it depends on the model. Some do, some don't. Is it, um, you know, I, obviously I haven't taken a look at the terms and conditions, but I'm sure that, um, you know, I've given away the, the the ability for them to go ahead and do that if they want to. They wouldn't republish it per se, but they would certainly use it to train their models. And that's something that, um, as you point out, Apple users would not necessarily need to have to worry about if everything's happening on their device. And this ties back into, in a really weird way, um, what I was talking about before, January 1984, Apple introduces the Mac, and they came out with that commercial that was based on George Orwell's 1984. Right. And now we're at a point where we've got all of this AI functionality, but it's requiring all these servers to know all the stuff about you, right? And then Apple is has this uh, alternative to that where they're right. saying, we're not going to do that. We're going to give you devices, and your device could do all that like in at your location without anybody else knowing about it. Right. So it's kind of a weird, interesting thing that there ends up being this parallel 40 years later to what Apple was doing then to, you know, kind of subvert the whole IBM thing. Right. And now 40 years later, we have AI and privacy and Apple's still on kind of the right side of the 1984 metaphor. Yes. Uh, of that, it, you know, it almost makes you wonder if, that would be an interesting thing for them to feature kind of in January, you know, to look back at that. So anyway. Yep. Yep. Interesting stuff. Well, like getting, I said, getting abstract. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And, and it makes a lot of sense. It'll be very interesting. I hadn't even thought about it being the 40 year anniversary. And um, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see not just what they do or maybe what product they might announce or so forth, mm -hmm. but just how they celebrate uh, what messages they want to emphasize as part of, uh, as part of that little party. Yeah. So like uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to be playing with a, okay, something more. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah. You're going to play, be playing with AI. Yep. Well, so I, I was thinking about, you know, what I was going to talk about today and, and honestly, um, the stuff that's got me the most excited since this is the tech enthusiast hour over the last week or so has just been my playing with AI in, in several ways. And it's, it's mostly stuff that I have talked about already 
um, you know, using AI to generate a summary for an article or generate a better title or give me ideas for thumbnails or so forth. And it dawned on me this morning that one of the um, the things that, uh, I don't know, really benefits me, I guess, is that I don't think of myself as a particularly creative person. Um, you know, I, I can't come up with lots mm. of flowery ideas for things. I rely on getting information. For example, um, you know, the, the content I create, it's a reaction to the questions I get. I'm not dreaming this stuff up. Uh, occasionally, there'll be themes based on getting a certain question over and over again. But mostly it's, you know, here's an idea, go write about it. Here's an idea, mm. go write about it, which puts me at a bit of a disadvantage when we're trying to get a little bit creative doing things like, you know, hey, you really need fancier YouTube thumbnails to get people to click through and that kind of stuff, or your titles really need to be much more engaging. Well, that's not my strength. But uh, what I've been doing is using AI, ChatGPT specifically, to um, just give me ideas, right? I'm not looking for it to write the content for me. What I'm looking for is just give me some ideas that I can run with. And that's exactly what I do. Um, it's the, 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 the thought that I came up with, it's not about the words for me, it's about the ideas. Um, and what's really funny is that uh, I am, I'm a computer geek, right? I, I'm just, this is what I do. I'm, I'm comfortable with bits and bytes. I'm not particularly comfortable selling. And I'm also not very good at writing sales copy. Um, so uh, just for the heck of it, um, I'll, I've got a, a new course um, all about OneDrive that's in the process of wrapping up. But it is one where, you know, I've got like 95% of the course done. I should probably have a sales page for this. I hate writing sales pages, but I have this really cool outline of what the course is. I wonder what ChatGPT would give me if I gave it um, my course outline and I said, write me a sales page. Mm. And um, it, it did a really, really neat job. Again, I've been reformatting, I've been rewording, but the ideas and the approach that it gave me, way better, way, way better than anything I would have come up with on my own. Um, and that's the kind of promise, at least for me, that um, that AI has. We talked last week uh, about the uh, uh, the images that I was using for Seven Takeaways. I had another one this week that I created again for Seven Takeaways, um, and it's just you know, yeah, here's a random idea. I'm not an artist; I can barely draw a line, or certainly can't draw a circle, and uh, just say, okay, here's some random idea. Um, make this happen. And it mm. does. It just does. Um, so yeah, it's it's like I said. I've just been having a lot of fun with AI. Uh, like I said, specifically Chat GPT with um, the Doll E uh, component for image creation, and uh, just enjoying it. I think, like I said, I think there's a lot a lot more potential to it than a lot of people are afraid of. I know that everybody's thinking mostly about well, it's going to start writing term papers and. Um, it's going to um, hallucinate while writing legal briefs, as we've heard <laughs> stories of already. But um, but it's so much more than that. Um, and especially if you intentionally don't take out the human element, but use it as a tool. I think last week we may have talked about using it as uh, thinking of it as an intern or an apprentice, and you know never actually publishing without review what it creates for you, but rather using it exactly as I have been um, as a place to start, an idea generator. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I use it for stuff like that, too. I've used it. I, I polished up the kind of sales pages for my courses with it. Mm -hmm. um, I also don't like selling. And uh, I had my description and I fed it the the longer description and an outline and I asked it for a sales page and it was very good but I wasn't I was wasn't comfortable with how good it was yes, so yes. I actually <laughs> I actually toned it down like I rewrote it but instead of trying to rewrite mine and make it stronger right I rewrote the very strong aggressive sales page <laughs> and and watered it down and I ended up with something I think better coming from that direction yes. than anything I was uncomfortable with you know, it'll make you, you know, make you more attractive, the opposite sex and all that. No, I was like, no, take that out. Um, but <laughs> you know, whatever it was very, it was very strong, like sales pitchy. 
but but you know it it was good. I mean, it certainly ended up with something different than I started with by doing that exercise. Right. Um, but I've also used it for ideas, like you said. I, I use it all the time to try to get ideas for episodes. Uh, unfortunately, it's very repetitive. Um, you know, if I just say, "Give me ideas for Mac tutorials uh, for YouTube or whatever," it's mm-hmm. going to give me ideas I've already covered. Right. <laughs> you right. know, lots of them. And if I say, oh, give me more nuanced ideas, like give me specific, because it'll say things like do something on how to be productive on your Mac. I'm like, well, give me something more specific than that. Right. It has trouble getting into the details. Right. Uh, but, you know, just I find that it's not necessarily going to spit out the answer. Like Correct. I'm go- it's suddenly going to say something and oh, number three in this list is perfect. I'm doing that. It's the process of talking with it. Mm-hmm. And as I'm talking with it and I'm getting frustrated because it's like, no, you're not getting it. I want something that's more, you know, a specific dealing with a single app and I'll go through it. And the ideas may kind of come from the screen, but sometimes they'll just come from me. It's right. almost like talking with somebody. Uh, about like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I make Mac tutorials. Oh, like what type? And then you talk for a while and probably in talking, you're like, hey, hold on, I just had an idea. And you write that down. Right, right, right. Kind of like that. So it works. It's definitely a lot better than just staring at a blank screen with a list of like things I should do tutorials on, number one. And then, okay, what? Hmm. You know, looking around the room, it's like an active thing to be doing. Um, And it it works really well. A couple of scenarios that... um, I've used it very successfully and uh, I've actually, uh, you know, written articles, which are, you know, N ways to do something. And I'll just ask it to basically write the same article, uh, you know, from scratch. And um, what's embarrassing is occasionally it'll come up with N plus two. In other words, I will have just overlooked a couple of things that, you know, I really should include that in my article, uh, which is kind of nice. It makes the articles better. I don't copy paste. I just rewrite, I write exactly what the topic was. Um, the other thing though, that just cracks me up, I've been using it lately for um, uh, the the banner images or the top images on uh, some of the Ask Leo articles, uh, the ones that don't necessarily have like a specific screenshot that would make sense or so forth. Mm-hmm. And there was a an article I, uh, See, I I don't know when it's coming out, but it's basically, um, you know, how do I keep the machine running when I close the laptop lid, right? Which mm-hmm. is a, which is a thing, and I wanted an image of a hand in the process of closing a laptop lid, and for the life of me, I could not get Dolly to generate that. Everything that it generated had like hands typing at the keyboard, nothing Mm. about closing the lid at all. And what's funny is that uh, when you use Dolly in ChatGPT, in addition to giving you the image, it gives you the expanded prompt that it used to generate that image. So my theory is that Ah. I'll I'll give it something short and stupid, you know, incomplete uh, to ChatGPT. It probably runs it through its own AI to get a better prompt and then gets the result of that better prompt. Yeah. The the better prompt though says explicitly there is a hand closing the laptop lid. And yet the picture has no hand closing a laptop lid. It's basically lying. Sometimes Uh, somebody referred to it as, um, uh, Oh gosh, the words uh, escaping me right now, but it's one of those things where, you know what? Yeah. This, this picture is real. Sure. It is. Yeah. This is exactly what it is. And of course the picture doesn't, it doesn't have Mm. that at all. So it's something to, uh, to watch for and occasionally get frustrated with. I read somewhere else, somebody was having exactly the same experience so that I know it wasn't necessarily my, um, my lack of technique for generating prompts, which is a whole, whole nother, whole nother story. So, Mm. but yeah, AI having fun with it. Good stuff. Yep, indeed. Uh, Speaking of AI, uh, here's a story from a little while ago, but uh, it marks the second time this year I'm talking about the small town of Ocean City, New Jersey, (laughs) which is a place I've been vacationing with my family for decades. Um, Strange for me to do that from Colorado, but, you know, I'm originally from Philly. And uh, this is a story about uh, AI, which strangely came up, uh, having to do with Ocean City, New Jersey, and it doesn't really scream like tech 
you know, place right. where you would find tech stories. But it's a about a company that is using AI for gun detection. So the idea here, uh, and I could see, I could see where Ocean City comes in. There might be a little bit more of a, I don't know, a feeling of like need for security and police and all that stuff. And it's a tourist town it, all summer long. The boardwalk's just packed, and there's no alcohol. It's a dry town, like a family wow. boardwalk situation. Uh, anyway, so there's a lot. There's a large police presence on the on the boardwalk at night, which is. Uh, interesting, I'll just say. <laughs> um, and uh, so they uh, are pulling a company that basically uses cameras. So uh, you could see their cameras on the boardwalk. I'm sure lots of stuff's being recorded. Mm -hmm. um, and these cameras, are, or maybe new ones, will be feeding into um, a AI system that's looking for guns. Um, not supposed to be any guns on the boardwalk. It's one of the many rules. There are lots of rules, right? right? In addition to no alcohol, there's a lot of rules. <laughs> you can't go into the beach after eight. It's a whole thing. Anyway, um, so you're not supposed to have any guns on the boardwalk. The camera system's looking for guns, and it's using AI to you know look at images from these cameras. And the idea being that if it thinks it sees something, it sends it to a human that's working at this company. And the human can quickly go and determine is this, you know, a little kid with a, you know, water pistol, um, exactly. or is it? Does it look like something that should be checked out? And immediately, um, they could get, you know, the police that are there on the boardwalk to be like, okay, at ninth in the boardwalk, um, you know, this color shirt, this hot, this tall, whatever, you know, check out, check out what's going on there. Um, and it's actually you're going to be using it in their schools as well. I, I didn't get many details about like how where the cameras are, I assume, in the entrances and stuff like that. Um, but it is interesting. And I do, you know, first reading this or looking at the headlines and stuff and then getting into the article, you know, my feeling is feels a little negative towards it. But I do like the idea that it's not under any illusion that anything's going to happen without a human seeing first. Right. It's basically just a, hey, we have a whole bunch of cameras, way more than, you know, we could afford to have people staring at all the time and ai can stare at many cameras at once over and over without getting tired right and without getting fatigued towards the end of the evening you know and all that and then but then sending the image you know to somebody and saying you know check this out what's this i i imagine they don't show it in action but i imagine like a still image or a video image with a little circle right around what it thinks it is right you know give give the human a quick like yes or no you know, like, yes, I should look more closely or no, no, this is you keep sending me the same image of the same little kid with his water <laughs> pistol, you know, uh, and just move on. It's interesting. Um, it does show, again, the partnership, which is, you know, almost what you were talking about. It's like, don't use AI to, like, write your term paper for you. Right. Use it as an idea generator. And here yeah. it's like, don't use AI to go and say you know, <laughs> uh, deploy forces now to this location, but use it as like, here, I'll narrow down all this video yeah. and just show you what you should be paying attention to yep. as a human. And in this partnership, we might be able to find, uh, you know, like if there's ever a problem, maybe, maybe a few minutes, a few seconds faster than if the AI wasn't involved. Um, and it's in a public place, a place where there's no illusion, believe me, no illusion of privacy walking around right. on that boardwalk. Right. Um, so it's kind of like that's already been – that boundary's already been crossed, right? <laughs> you're on camera. Uh, you're in a public place. Mm -hmm. um, it's the kind of public place where you really can't expect to have any privacy if you're out there. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I'd be interested to see if they give any stats of like how many fa false alerts they've got and if it ever – actually does something to pay for itself and, and in fact i mean you hate to think in those terms but you know if you know two years from now it does actually stop a a crime in, you know in advance right you could say ah justified but then right. how do you look at it the other way and say if it goes 10 years and it never stops it it's like well i mean that's what you want <laughs> i suppose the the failure case is more um, you know, when a gun makes it in and causes a problem and the system mm -hmm. didn't didn't see it, 
Right. That's, right. That, that's a, that's the scary one. But I really do like the idea of having the AI basically say, hey, you might want to take a look at this and and having that be its level of of action, if you will. That's basically all it can really do. Um, as you say, you don't want it to uh, to have its hand on a virtual trigger that says deploy the SWAT team based on um, yes. you know, the, AI, the AI's recommendation. Right. So cool. Mm. Cool. So, so yeah. So speaking of cool, mm. yes. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. So uh, my ain't it cool uh, this week? Uh, since you stole mine, <laughs> I was going to use. <laughs> <Sorry>. Well, <laughs> I'll chime in. I'll chime in when you talk about it. Um, yeah. But I just finished a book really fast uh, because uh, you know good books are you know keep you reading really fast. Uh, John Scalzi's new book, which is called Starter Villain. And uh, John Scalzi writes great stuff uh, that is it's fun to read um, and contains interesting ideas. And he's just a really good writer. And, and the audiobooks were read by Will Wheaton, as most of his audiobooks are, uh, which is uh, just that a bonus. But uh, yeah, the, the basic premise here is, you know, the old trope of like some uncle that you never knew dies and leaves you like a fortune or an old house or something like that. Right. What if that uncle that dies that you never knew uh, was a James Bond style villain, <laughs> and you just inherited his somewhat questionable uh, ethics empire of various things? Um, yeah, interesting idea. It's, it's one of those things that's like nobody's ever done that before. That's a great idea for a book, and uh, and yeah, it's a it's a great fun read. So, starter villain by John Scalzi. Cool. So yeah, the one that I apparently stole from you, I was yeah. in, the in the document first, um, yep. was our flags mean our flag means death on uh, what was HBO Max is now season just two, yeah, season two. So we're actually right between seasons right now. We just finished season one last oh. night, and I think we'll be picking up season two probably tonight, given our given what's on our um, given on our plate. Yes. Um, the way I've, I've described it is, is, you know, yep, it's stupid, it's silly, but it's fun. It's a comedy. Um, it's got Rice Darby, who's a, 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 a New Zealand comedian. Yeah. And chances are you've probably seen him. Um, he's yeah. in he's in Jumanji. He's in a couple of other places. Um, he is he is a funny stand up, um, but he's just he does a good an interesting role here. And then, of course, Taika Waititi, um, the actor and yeah. director who, again, you've absolutely seen, um, even though he apparently just lost out on um, directing the next Thor movie because mm. the one he did direct didn't do good enough or something. Um, but he's great in this. He's a lot of fun. And um, yeah, uh, our flag means death. Yeah, really talented cast of lots of people, lots of people on that show that you're like, I've seen that person before, you know, and you can look up, oh, they were in this and there. Yeah. And and uh, and of course, uh, it's a great it's it's a very New Zealandy show. Lots of New Zealand actors in it. Uh, that talent group, I guess that that talent group kind of grew up after when they made the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Mm hmm. It really it pumped a ton of money into the arts there, right? Because you had a ton of people getting into acting, a right. ton of people getting into writing and directing and all this stuff. And it created this huge halo effect of people that didn't even work on those movies, but right. still yep. create yeah, this whole industry. And now this, you know, uh, Taika Waititi and Reese Darby and all these other people um just really uh, coming into their own and making tons of content. It's like the next, the big area where content's coming from. And our flag means death is great. In its uh, its characters are wonderful. It's uh, it's it just a wonderful storytelling that does not follow some of the old, you know, formulas from the past. Very true. Uh, in many different ways that yeah. that I loved, and I loved. I just finished season two, and I loved it. Um, it, it yeah, it's a great show. The thing that I find interesting is you're right. It's it's um, top heavy with New Zealand actors and yeah. and others, and yet if you take a look at the filming locations at IMDb, mm. L.A. Yeah, basically yeah, L.A., Malibu, uh, Burbank, um, you know all that kind of stuff. So basically, they've packed up their crew and and moved to Los Angeles at least for this. But um, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's it's and honestly. 
Um, it took me a couple of episodes to get into it when I started. Um, I wasn't really all that sure uh, after the first couple of episodes, but it grew on me. And now, of course, you know, be, being between seasons, I well, uh, I need to see how it all turns out. <laughs> well, if I could go on even more, I mean, the thing is, I've always loved pirates. Pirates have always been a big, you know, uh, just interest area. I've looked staring at my office here and a whole set of books, uh, like a whole shelf that's just pir books about pirates and the golden age of piracy. So um, the main character, Steed Bonnet, mm -hmm. was a real pirate. So a lot of the actual people in you know the characters are real. Interesting. But their interesting takes on them helped by the fact that we know it, our information is very spotty, right? Golden Age of Piracy was right around 1720. Right. So there's a lot, but there's also a lot missing. So, you know, Steed Bonnet was the gentleman pirate. He was the real pirate who was weird because instead of getting into piracy the normal way of being a, you know, a crew member working for, you know, British or Spanish or French, and they're just going off on their own and becoming a pirate and getting a pirate crew and doing all of that. Uh, he basically, you know, pirates were popular even while they were going on. Mm -hmm. So so the stories of the pirates reached England, and he was a wealthy guy, like a landowner, kind of noble, but like lower noble, mm -hmm. who basically went and said, I want to do that. So he started wrong by basically buying a ship and hiring a crew, which is <laughs> the opposite of what you're supposed to do. And then setting <laughs> sail for the Caribbean to be a pirate, right? You're That's not, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to take over the ship and right. you're supposed to like, you know, you capture the, capture the crew and say, who wants to join me? Not like hire them and go out. So and the basically they took the that general idea and said, well, this is a rich area for comedy, and even the whole idea that supposedly Steed Bonnet was seen with in the company of Edward Teach Blackbeard, just <laughs> hanging out, and but there's very little information. So it's like, what circumstance would somebody <laughs> like Steed Bonnet be hanging out with somebody? like blackbeard like what was really going on there let's go and take that in an interesting direction and yeah, then no you <laughs> and you throw in all of these other most of the people that are pirates you know that have real names were real people i can look them up and then you could find all these real things about them and you look at the show and say huh interesting so they read this as being this you know it's a really interesting thing and it, and the funny thing is is that pirate movies uh you know trying to be about these people were based on this really not much information and so is this show Right. So sometimes you look and you say, you know, a lot of this is fictionalized, but so is everything else about these people. And this show may actually have gotten some things right <laughs> that nothing else has got right in the past. We'll never know. Exactly. It's feasible. So That's anyway, funny. really I had good. No idea. I had no idea that there was um, um, any anything yeah. halfway factual um, that this was based on. So yeah. it's funny because I think I've mentioned in previous episodes that um, a lot of the, um, like the medieval England shows that we were watching, we were watching um, uh, the Tudors uh, recently. Mm -hmm. And it was a case where, you know, I would have Wikipedia open next to me and I would occasionally find out that, you know, yeah, this guy really did do that. He really did do this, you know, that kind of stuff. But you expect yeah. it out of a quote unquote historical um, it's not a documentary, more of a docudrama. Um, mm. I had no idea I could have been doing this all along with this show. Yeah, I mean, you're, it's not going to be, of course, a show like The Tudors is trying to be accurate with all these documents. This is taking a lot of liberties. Actually, but... to, to be fair, The Tudors did take a number of, uh, a well, number well, of liberties. Yeah. So but anyway. um, yeah, in, in, like I said, it, it, they weren't trying to be a documentary. They were trying to be entertainment, a drama. But um, uh, yeah, cool. Very cool. I did not know that. Now I'm gonna yeah, even I mean, even the pirate, the pirate nation, you know, the right. Republic of Pirates or whatever, that was a real thing. Probably wasn't <laughs> like what they showed in the in the show, or maybe right. it was. Yeah, you know, know, I mean, yeah. and some of these other pirates and stuff, and how they felt about each other, you know, the enemies and the friends. They, uh, it, there's a lot. So uh, yeah, uh, the funny thing is, having read all these books about the golden age of piracy. Mm -hmm. And then seeing this show, it's like I have to smile at a lot of it because it's like, sure, yeah, it could have been that way. And why not? It's just as valid a representation of what we know as a lot of the other stuff.
So, so yeah. Anyway, it's good, Thanks and it's me. also just a fun show, and it's just it's neat to see. Uh, the there's a lot of good. You there's some pe- people, uh, you know, that are in one or two episodes, actors that you'll recognize uh, in season two as well, uh, that are fun to see. So, cool, very cool. cool. Yep. Um, in terms of you know promoting myself, uh, the article that I think I'm going to point folks at this week is why are there so many files? I got this question. <laughs> Uh, from a reader. And uh, it was, you know, it's a legitimate question. They had run uh, a Windows Defender, the anti-malware uh, tool. They'd done yeah. a full scan on their machine and it had reported like over a million files on their system, mm. which I thought was, well, okay, yep, yeah, that's, that's a lot. Um, I got a similar number out of Windows Defender. But then I realized that when I actually went and counted the physical files on the machine, um, there were not a million files. There were actually, you know, maybe a tenth or fifth that many. And the reason why actually turned out to make some sense. And the way I put it is, you know, today I learned, today I learned how Windows Defender counts. And it's actually quite interesting. So why are there so many files? Askleo.com slash 164029. Cool. And I'll point people to the video uh, that I kind of mentioned before. It's actually will come out the same day as this about, is it uh, time to upgrade um, your Mac? You know, uh, if you have a MacBook Pro, you know, an older one or an iMac, an older one. And this announcement just came out. A lot of people asking themselves, oh, should I should be upgrading now or should I, you know, wait till next year or something like that? So I did a video on that. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So we're changing the way we get out of here. Um, at, at the beginning of the show, of course, you have heard our synthetic announcer, whose name, by the way, is Adam, um, who's actually one of the stock voices out of um, Eleven Labs, who we featured a few episodes ago as being able to imitate, um, you know, ourselves as well. But uh, we're gonna let him close up the show here at the end. So that pretty much wraps us up for yet another week. Adam, take it away. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh208. If you have a comment or question for us, be sure to leave it on the show notes page. The TEH Podcast is hosted by Leo Notenboom of askleo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com and edited by Connie Delaney. I'm your synthetic announcer, Adam, from 11labs.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you here real soon. <laughs>